Welcome to the Future of Advertising, where this show has been designed to meet our most adventurous explorers in media and marketing and all that orbits our world. We're going to have great conversations that spark curiosity and that lead listeners to what's next. I'm Luke Lambert, and this is Red Talks. Welcome. Welcome to OMD Red Talks. Today, we have an awesome, awesome conversation for our, for our folks. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the world of, of VC. Um, with me, I have Chris Cunningham, a 20 plus year media and technology entrepreneur. Chris has launched three early stage venture funds to help scale the C2 Ventures brand and has invested in over 45 portfolio companies. He was the CEO and co-founder of AppSavvy, a pioneer in mobile native advertising, ultimately driving 70 million in revenues to the app ecosystem. He is an LP in Bowery Capital and Techstars and has held executive roles at Unicast and Iron Source a now $11 billion mobile technology company. He has been named one of the most important people in mobile advertising. Oh, boy. I want that one. By Business Insider and Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year finalist, two years in a row. Again, really impressive. Chris graduated from the University of North Carolina Greensboro in 97 with an economics degree. He has two sons, runs marathons and triathlons. Uh, and would rather be scuba diving. So I'm sorry we're not scuba diving. <laughs> Thank you for coming uh, into the office here at 195 Broadway in New York. And uh, you know, let's uh, let's let's get into it because I, I do want to talk to you about this. Thanks, piece thanks for having me. First of all, I realize because I haven't looked at this for a little bit. I haven't run a marathon. I've run seven, uh, six in New York, but I haven't run one in in a few years. So I feel like I got to call that out. But you know, I'm not constant. Marathon runner. I think Iron Source is maybe worth like another hundred billion. I need to update my bio. Other than that, we did great, and that's on me because I shared this with you. <laughs> well, I love it. Man. Uh, look, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, I'm yeah, glad. But the triathlon piece is real, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay. real. Yeah, it's generally all real. It's just uh, I just need to clean it up. You got to update. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, welcome. Thanks for being here. Um, like I said, I want to talk to you about this VC world and kind of the market shifts getting uh, venture capitalists' attention. But first. I think there's a lot of people out there that are right now realizing that VC stands for venture capitalists. It does. Tell me more. What should we know about what's the 101 down and dirty on, on VC? You know, if I took a step back from my background, from my profile, um, and, and kind of get into VC, I, uh, I started off in 99, 2000 dot com boom as an online sales rep. I, you know, ran, ran around all the hallways of hold co's and, across the country and, and in New York, because I lived in the city for uh, 17 years. Um, been a tech founder a few times, which you find out very quickly. You don't have the energy to do too long because it's exhausting, very tiring, um, as you reference kind of executive roles. But what I realized was I had a lot to offer um, to what I considered kind of the next wave of tech founders off the heels of all the mistakes I made um, as, a, as, a, as a founder and CEO. So I kind of had this initial analogy of like the Jerry Maguire of like, how, you know, how do you give back and enable founders not to make the same mistakes that I made? Um, so that was kind of the initial premise of C2V in 2014 when I just did an LLC for fun because I didn't really know what to call it. And that turned into 18 angel investments. Of course, we're going to get into it, so I won't jump ahead. And then into um, launching funds. But essentially, um, VC, uh, we are raising money from outside investors, namely LPs, which is a limited partner. Um, they are many, many folks that I think the OMD, Omnicom ecosystem would know. They're, you know, CEOs, founders of um, MarTech companies, ad tech companies, from Netflix to, you know, Google to Twitter. Again, a lot of folks that 
um, that OMD would work with that have given us their money to hopefully make wise decisions based on our thesis, which we'll get into, and over a uh, period of time, look for returns. So essentially, we are raising outside capital from individuals, family offices, institutional, and based on our thesis and our portfolio construction, we're making a certain amount of investments over a period of time to make returns. That's a long-winded way of saying we're in the business of making money. Uh, we'd like to think we do it in a kind of more thoughtful way, um, which I can explain, but that's the high level. Got it. So basically, you were sitting on the other side of the table for a long time as a CEO, yes. as this tech entrepreneur, and you realized, I think I can help more, help myself more too probably, Yeah, <laughs> a little bit less of a, uh, a drain on you maybe, um, but take those learnings, yeah. take them into the other side of this table because I know what it takes to deliver when you raise money. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Not only raise money, but but basically, what does that journey look like to be a tech founder? Because I think on the outside, I think a lot of people view it as sort of, um, you know, kind of, a, a, I guess, a cool or interesting role to be a tech founder. The, uh, the truth is, it's, uh, it's not what anyone thinks it is. It's a certain level of commitment and sacrifice that I'd advise most people not to go into. Um, uh, but it's very challenging. But it's no different than, you know, if you have kids and not teaching them like the dangers of a crosswalk or like table manners or being polite. It's the same concept, which is founders are going to make the same mistakes and face the same experiences that pre previous founders have um, have have incurred. But the problem that I realized when I was uh, a tech founder was there wasn't I didn't feel there was anyone there that kind of was able to navigate or provide honest feedback. So I approached it not from the guy that crushed it from like selling my company for X amount or whatever. This was a kind of, hey, I made a lot of mistakes. I've had some singles and doubles in my career, you know, you know, relatively um, experienced or wise. And I want to enable you to uh, both through my network and through capital, um, hopefully have a more successful outcome. Got it. So that leads us to... to to where you're at now. Yeah. CTV. Yeah. Tell, tell me what specifically is, about the fund. I what wanna, is I it? Know yeah. What you guys are up to. So um, we, um, again, 18 angel investments, um, which was my personal capital to kind of build the portfolio. As you reference in my bio, I became an LP in two funds. That was really to learn. Basically, uh, I, you know, that was giving my money to another VC so I could understand what it was like to sit on that side of the table. I invest in my own capital to, because like anything, sweat equity or putting your money where your mouth is, regardless of the industry you're in, that was important. Um, but then in 2018, um, I took that angel portfolio. I found a partner in crime um, who has a polar opposite but highly complementary background, 20-year Wall Street hedge fund, quant guy, CFO, CEO. He's the real smart guy in the equation. And we joined forces and launched our first fund. Um, which was just under nine million. Uh, our second fund, twenty-one million, and our our pre-seed fund, two point six. Uh, essentially, um, you know, with those funds, we're making twenty investments um, a, um, in aggregate, mostly over about a two-three-year period. So that's what seven a year. Yeah. So it's not a lot, um, especially when you see about twenty-five companies a week. Um, we're we're zeroing in on a thesis. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> yeah, twenty-five companies yeah. a week. Yeah. What are those meetings? Well, no, that's the They're key. Not. You don't take meetings. Uh, you know, the, the, <laughs> the funnel, since we're on that, um, is, you know, most of them come through their emails. A lot of people always want to call. The answer is no. You don't get a phone call. You don't get a Zoom. It's just because it doesn't scale, especially because we're a small team. So 
when people ask me that, and I love that question, is the way that you go about it is if your thesis, which is um, looking at old economy, legacy industries that are ripe for disruption, our tagline is dirty, dull, and dangerous. So these are like sectors that have been around for decades that are not going anywhere. Dental supply, insurance tech, bathroom cleaning, robotics, medical tech, uh, prop tech, retail tech, martech. Um, they, uh, so if you stick with that thesis and you stick with your geographic focus, which is kind of New York, uh, east of the Missi- east of the Mississippi, um, that's another way of saying we don't invest in San Francisco because the price points and expectations are kind of insane. And your check size uh, is stays consistent. You can vet out those twenty five companies down to like say ten, and then you go through the so you don't go through twenty five decks. You go through um, you know well you go through all of them. Fifteen go out the door immediately. Then you say you see another kind of like five or seven where something kind of feels off or it's too expensive or whatever. Next thing you know, you're down to like, you know, three or four. Out of those three or four, you you have probably uh, a handful of 30-minute Zooms. Okay. And from that funnel, you're down to like another Zoom for an hour. And then then you start going into diligence and through the rabbit hole. But But the funnel, you can go through very quickly so long as you stay – core to your thesis and your focus and your check size or whatnot, but it's very critical that you do that. So a couple of things here. Sure. Um, one overall vetting. I'm, I'm curious, like, do you have a rinse and repeat process and you say, this is my process for vetting. These are the things that I'm looking for. This is the, the criteria. Um, why don't we start with that and we'll come back. Yeah. So when we get deals, we, we have an analyst, uh, they go into our CRM, which is, you know, Airtable, and, you know, he, he'll, he'll pass, on a lot of companies that just don't fit the profile. So they don't even make it to our weekly meeting. Uh, so as far as like kind of process, and then, you know, we spent about 90 minutes on this and we've gotten pretty good at it over the years. When we started, it was a bit of a shit show and we were kind of all over, but we've gotten pretty tight now. Um, and, um, but you can learn a lot, Luke, you can, you can, you, you can pick up things through the email, um, the research that that founder may or may not have done, understanding, you know, who you are, what you're, you know, what you're looking at, uh, other reference points, um, but it, it's it, you know I call it pattern recognition. It's like if you know you watch baseball, it's like looking at pitches. So the more moneyball, de- moneyball, of course. Moneyball. So the more deals you see and the more emails that you read, the quicker you can kind of um, digest or understand what's real or, or what or what's not. Because we get a lot of you know weird stuff, and we don't invest in crypto or NFT or Web three or anything sort of shiny or new because we we think that's more challenging than the sectors that we invest in. Tell me a little bit more when you think about, you know, you get 50 emails in a week, you got, you know, you boil it down, you go through your process. Um, so tell me like, what are some of these like very simple criteria? Like this is in, this is out. Yeah. Well, so first of all, I mean, I know we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, AI and, 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 uh, chat GBT and, and th- th- that's kind of, um, we'll get to that. We see that that is almost, that's like a layer or feature on top of the business. Meaning if someone says we're a blockchain company, that may, that may not make a a ton of sense because that could mean a lot of different things. So we kind of look at, um, technology as a layer onto the problem that you're trying to solve. So let me say it another way. What we're trying to identify is founders that have experienced past pain or frustration that like really like piss them off or like, you know, really set them off where they're will, willing to like run through a, you know, a, a burning building. Cause that's kind of the criteria that's going to be required because you're going to be on this journey for five to 10 years and it's going to be ugly. So there's an attitude here. There's, there's a, a attitude. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. So when we're looking at the profile of the founder and where he or she comes from, 
we want to understand, and that really, I mean, look, to take a step back, the founder profile is probably the most critical piece in the equation. Who is that founder? Why, why is he or she most capable of solving this massive problem? Who's the team around, um, you know, uh, the, the founding, the founding team, how big is the TAM, which is the total adjustable market? Um, what have they built to potentially show validation around that idea? So is it, you know, a, a paying customer? Is it beta? So there's a lot of components that we're trying to, like our role in venture capital is to de-risk. How do you, you know, just constantly de-risk? It's a risky proposition, but like anything is, walking across the street is, but de-risk, de-risk, de-risk. And you do that by just kind of, you know, reinforcing what I said, staying true to your thesis and criteria. Ours is incredibly differentiated in venture, like incredibly uh, uh, differentiated. Um, and then really understanding why that founding team is going to be, be best suited to win. The other thing I should add quickly that I think is relevant to your audience. So if you look at, you know, whether it's Netflix or, or Hulu or, uh, you know, or, or Meta or, or any of these other yeah, agency Holcos, we have, a, you know, over 150 investors in our fund and the folks in this building or sitting around this room or including yourself, you would know maybe half the names. They, um, they get involved or get into the trenches with our founders and to help them along their journey. So the way that we scale a small person team is when requests come in, we actually will look for our investors to say, hey, can you help open that door? How did you scale sales organization? Or what do you think of this AI? Or, you know, maybe it's, you know, name drop a little bit, Ari Paparo or Bill Weiss or Peter Naylor, you know, some really, you know, interesting, uh, Shayla Buckley, some really interesting folks. And so our investors become part of the team, if you will, but they're part-time, but they like that because they get to roll up their sleeves in, in, in venture and they get to, help their portfolio company, which is good for their best interest because they make money if the company does well. Does that make sense? They make money if the company does well, it, yes. Exactly. That makes, that so, makes yes. So, so, so we get them involved with everything. Like, so on Tech DD, I'm, I can't, I'm not equipped to tell you if the machine learning or AI that this company that's trying to get our money is legit. So we'll go to Brian Adams, who is the CTO of AdMeld, and then Spotify now he's doing something else. So we we use our investor base as almost like part-time analysts, um, which is important. I wanted to make sure I shared that part in regards to kind of who we are and how we operate. And that's how we scale. But, but the, the point is those folks are all folks that have grown up the last 20 plus years in our respective, whether you're on the buy side or on the publisher side, it's all those types of LPs. Yeah, this this is actually my first agency job. Okay, <laughs> um, I've been here for seven years, but uh, I've worked on every side of the the, the ad transaction. I, I usually say, um, I wonder if you know there's a cultural thing we should be thinking about here as well, right? Because if I'm a listener right now and I'm a junior person at an agency or at a brand, and I'm trying to figure out what does my career look like, where does this pan out, where do I put my money. Um, when can I put my money somewhere? How do you think a person just entering their career should think about your world? That's a good question. So yeah, if there's somebody that is thinking about, you know, they have some savings or some income or something that they want to get into this ecosystem, I mean, it doesn't have to be C2V. I generally would advise to go to a venture firm. Why? Because it's better to be in a portfolio than try to cherry pick one particular deal. 
most of our LPs, God bless them, way smarter than Matt and I, my partner, they, you know, your buddy from college is like, hey, I'm building an app for that. Or, you know, I heard about this idea from my friend, whatever. And they're, and they put, you know, 20, 25 grand, 50, whatever the number is. Those generally don't work out because they've only seen two deals versus 3,000, right? So they don't have the pattern recognition. That angel invest, uh, uh, they don't have a team that's managing the fund. And, but mostly, Luke, the reality of it is not all of our companies are going to be successful, not just ours, but any venture firm. You're going to have a top quartile that goes for, you know, they're the outliers that potentially are the unicorn or billion. Then you have 100 million, blah, 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 blah. And some are going to turn into zeros, which is hard for me to admit, but that's the math. The point is, it's better to be in 20 companies than one, right? It's no different than, it's yeah. diversification. It's no different than, I'm sure you have your 401k, or if you have kids, you have your 529, or, you know, you have your real estate, you have stock market. It's diversification. So if somebody's actually looking to invest, um, look at a venture firm that matches the interest of that individual. We don't invest in consumer companies. Why? Because it's they're too hard to scale. The marketing spend around it is you know incredibly high. So the unit economics and the CAC and all that just don't materialize. So we do enterprise B2B, really boring, unsexy. Like what we tell people, if you the most unsexy, unglamorous verticals on the world, like we are like call us. So if you're if you wanna um, explore that, know what kinds of venture funds are out there that you're passionate about, that maybe only are into climate tech. Let's go with that. You want to you want to save the world, great climate, there's climate VCs. You should choose that and go with a fund that's going to have multiple investments. And if your buddy from college is like, hey, I have this cool idea that I met from a friend, run as far away from that. Act? Okay. But there's a venture firm for almost, almost is- every interest that somebody has. So health or wellness or consumer or whatever it is. Right. So if there's this, if you have the, almost like a verticalization of what you specialize in, how do you or do you expand? Like, what are you looking at? Like, you're, You've got a, a tech everything background, mm-hmm. um, but you just told me your focus is in like boring B2B. Yeah. H- how do you find opportunity that's maybe outside of your wheelhouse or do you not? Is that part of the yeah. game? Well, in fairness, when we started, we didn't have this crystallized kind of dirty, dull, and dangerous focus. We were somewhat generalist, which means more open. We did a handful of MarTech companies. Booster is a CRM business, which is... I mean, I'm classified MarTech ad tech in a second. Magellan, which probably oh, yeah. wants to work with uh, or working with you guys or, you know, analytics measurement for the podcast vertical. Um, so we have MarTech. Um, it, ironically, I my entire career was built on ad tech and on media and data. And I'm not a hater on it because all my friends are there, our LPs are there. We're not investing in that sector. Why? Because we don't think that uh, yields the greatest opportunity to make money. I classify MarTech and ad tech in two ways. It's my own definition. Your ad tech, if you rely on a Omnicom, for example, to monetize your inventory or your supply, like you need the agency or the brand direct to make money. That's a no for us. MarTech is a SaaS business that generally kind of publisher to publisher, it's stickier, it's reoccurring, it's predictable, you can forecast ad spend compared to when early 2000s, it was kind of like the wild, wild west lunches and dinners and kind of, you know, the, it, it was, it was great and it worked. Those days are over. There's kind of five companies that, you know, probably matter that most of the budgets go to. I'm just speculating, but it feels that way. 
So we we stay clear there. Don't hate on it, just not just not where we um, allocate our time. So specifically to your question, the key is to stay disciplined. This the key is the longer you stay in your swim lane, and hopefully you made the right one. We think we made like the best, and we make a lot of bad decisions, but. You know, old economy verticals, bathroom cleaning, Luke, never going to go anywhere. Uh, it, uh, underwriting uh, the commercial trucking industry, people are going to x-rays. You're always going to have to go to the dentist. You know, you kind of follow them. These are kind of recession-proof industries that have billions of dollars behind them, but you don't have to be a rocket scientist. My 12-year-old can be like, Dad, like that's probably done, you know, archaic and antiquated. So that's kind of the opportunity. 2021, globally. VC pullback. We saw it. It's real. Um, it's tied to the impact. Some of it to very specifically to the to the war in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Some of it is more speculative on are we going to have a global recession? Is this a U.S. recession? What's mm-hmm. the difference? Mm-hmm. Um, what's your I guess what's your take on the pullback? And then in general, where are you seeing market funding being like prioritized right now? Yeah. So on the macro, it's just the harsh. You know, we're having an honest conversation the majority of VCs kind of screwed things up for, for almost everybody. Uh, um, and I'll explain all the terrible SPAC decisions that kind of like we're, 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 we're pumping a couple of years ago. They're all going to, majority of them are going to be zeros. Um, the Tiger Globals and the Andreessen's and all the kind of classic large uh, venture platforms, basically they funded a lot of companies that should have never gotten the funding that they received. They were based on inflated numbers and grow, you know, artificial growth, but not sound unit economics. What does that mean? It means like the business can actually make money. And this may sound kind of crazy to you because it's like, how can qualified people that are investing in other people's money pour hundreds of millions, billions of dollars into companies? And we could go into, you know, Casper or WeWork or, you know, what, how many examples do you want? They're in a, like, whatever. There's tons of them. And um, so unfortunately, a lot of that uh, has created kind of a ripple effect for the rest of uh, the industry. So the, here's the, here's the, here's the, the truth. The, the macro is a really, right now, it's a very tough climate for anyone to, uh, for, for uh, companies to raise money, unless you're a real business. So good businesses that are growing fast, they're getting funded. There's early stage money and there's late stage money. Not as much, but it's out there. Companies that were average to okay, that were getting looks when things were pretty, very active and hot a couple years ago before the markets kind of turned, um, they're not getting that kind of funding right now. So um, so we're kind of in this point right now where there is a bit of a survival of the fittest. Uh, a lot of companies are going to go away, uh, which isn't a terrible thing. Good businesses will survive. And then there's kind of this middle ground where we spend most of our time, which is we would back the same founders with the same idea, but they just didn't raise enough money before the interest rates, you know, skyrocketed and, and the stock market's pummeled and the war and all these sorts of things. So, um, there's not, it's not, it's not doomsday for all. It's just doomsday. If you didn't have a sound business that could actually get to break even or profitability. Um, uh, but it's tough. Like, I'm not going to sit here and be like, yeah, things are, things are fine and you know, good companies, but it's a much, much harder market than a couple of years ago. But it's, you know, like every cycle, you know, you're in it and then, you know, you come out of it, but you know, it's not my saying at all here, and I forget who you know where, where it kind of came from. But the reality of it is, is the best companies come from really shitty, tough periods, and I and I believe that now. 
you know, they'll, 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 they'll rise to the top even in an environment like this. Yeah. But there, but it's definitely, it's definitely difficult predominantly because there's not a lot of capital out there for companies that deserve money that just need another three months to validate this or another six months to build their product or they missed you know, a little bit more time to hire those two people. Those companies are just kind of in a they, tough predicament because they're dealing with outside forces they can't control, but they're still very fundable. The, 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 the sectors that are, were, were just laughable, um, the crazy parties in Miami, you know, with web three and NFT and the metaverse, which still continues to be fake. Um, you know, these are sectors that got a lot of money and I, I, you know, these things happen. And then there's a inverse kind of negative effect on like, uh, like, and it makes people pull back. Yeah. So I never understand, even when we climb out of this, the same bad habits are going to are going to occur. Um, and I, I wish I had an answer on how to kind of uh, police this better or make sure just the companies that deserve to get funded. But I've seen it. We've seen the cycles too many times. Last time I can remember having this level of, of, of a conversation around like the global economy um, was 2008. It's been a minute. Um, but that's probably the wrong read on actually like the business marketplace of, 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 of VC. Is this your first time through something of this, you know, size, this level of disruption? And if it's not, I'd just like to know a little bit more about maybe where do you go for advice when something is off the mm -hmm. rails or not exactly what you expected it to be? Um, you know, who's your, who's your angel? Yeah. Well, so I've been through every neck, I mean, dot, I, you know, early twenties and Soho at bolt.com, which was like the original social networking site pre MySpace Friendster. We went through uh, 2001.com bust. A lot of people was like, you know, they're like, screw that. And they ended up getting finance jobs or whatnot, lived through that, lived through 2008. But as a, uh, as a operator, founder or CEO, um, um, the, <laughs> the pandemic, which was difficult for everyone. I mean, we were literally like trying to close our first fund and, you know, 2020, Feb 2020, and then 21. So I, I, I think for us, for C2V and my partner, Matt, I think we've already gone through, and I hope potentially the worst that you could go through as it relates to navigating everything shutting down. And, you know, so this, right, this particular timing feels um, moderately okay because the pandemic in our shoes because we were basically a startup, even though we we're a venture, venture firm, we didn't, you know, nothing was given to us. It's all been brick by brick. Um, so there's that, you know, um, there's a lot of mentors that are LPs in the fund that I, that I talk to um, that are, you know, way wiser and way more experienced that Matt and I can bounce ideas off. And we're very lucky for that. I guess the founders come to us, we'll share, you know, we'll make intros, as I mentioned to our investors who indirectly have a vested stake in that company being part of C2V but we have, you know, when we go through periods, we have uh, mostly our, our LP base and often other investors that are on the cap table with us. Basically, you know, what, what, what defines who owns what in a particular company. And I actually find um, talking to other investors just to compare notes to see if like, are we crazy? Are you also getting hosed here? And that's sometimes a sanity check. Um, you may be asking yourself, you know, what, or, or somebody may be listening, what does that world look like as far as VCs, investors, work, uh, working together, collaboration? It's like 98% team sport. 
you, you want to see other investors on, um, on the cap table, on a board call, because when things go sideways, which happens a lot, you want other people to be step in, to step in. Um, the only time it gets a little, uh, the 2% or whatever the percentage I used is when like two firms want to lead one round, you know, and then it gets into a bid and war. But other than that, it's the, it's a rising tide mentality in, 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 um, in the venture community, which I don't think a lot of people know, but generally, you know, when I come into the city, I'm meeting with, you know, it's not competitors. It's like, it's other seed investors or pre-seed investors and, um, and angels. And because you want to get, you also want them to like you and know you because of deal flow. Most investors are friends because they're like, look, you invest in X, we invest in Y, but if you see X, I see Y, I'll send you, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll send sure. you the dirty, dull and dangerous and I'll, and I'll send you the, you know, the NFT. Good luck with that. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I guess we don't have to put on the NFT or web three yeah. or anything else like the metaverse rabbit hole, but, um, there is certainly something that's probably in every other conversation I have. I think it was in my lunch conversation. It was in a conversation this morning with one of our largest partners. Uh, this whole AI thing seems kind of popular right now, yep. but I think it's got a different sort of legs, uh, and realness to it. Yep. Is it, is it, is it dirty? Is it dull? Is it dangerous? So <laughs> I want to know more, more about these categories as well. So if you want to yeah. tell me what those are while we're doing this one, but, um, how, how does the portfolio evolve? How do you keep up with this demand of a, of something like AI? Yeah. So look, I'm, I'm going to state, so I fully agree with you and just say that there's nothing I'm going to say that hasn't been stated before, but it, it is absolutely kind of the coolest and most revolutionary um, technology that I think, you know, we'll see in whatever, a decade or two decades. Um, th the majority of our companies were already using AI or machine learning in some component to, you know, create greater efficiencies through their software and who they sell to. Um, ChatGBT is something that is obviously very new and innovative. And some of our companies, at least one, is somewhat pivoting because they didn't really have true market fit, product market fit, sorry. And now they're trying to capture uh, this technology mm -hmm. to create more efficiency. But ultimately, the idea of using multiple sources of information, which is kind of what we're talking about, and then finding the best output versus where we were like a year ago, which was kind of just one source of data. Now we're looking at, you know, multiple sources of data, aggregating and getting the best output. It's going to be. Um, it's definitely. It's not just here, but it's 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 the future. It's tomorrow. Um, but again, when I mentioned that term feature, what I meant by that is, we if we saw if somebody pitched us and said, hey, you know, we're an AI business, it'd be like that's kind of a red flag. It's like no, 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 no. What problem are you solving? Why are you solving it? How are you solving it? How big is the market around it? What proof points? It's cool that you're using AI. That's not a problem, but that's not your business. Does that make sense? Yeah. And a lot of people get kind of confused, and that's where sometimes there's a disconnect with venture and macro and startups, which is just throwing acronyms. Like, we're going to use blockchain, and then we're going to do AI. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, what, what's your business? So we are huge fans. I, like I said, I think the majority of our companies have some component I'll give you kind of two concrete examples. One company is using uh, AI on existing. So imagine like a utility truck navigating your neighborhood. Um, they're using existing cameras and video to identify where there's a potential break in a telephone pole 
or where there's going to be some issue if the next Ida, God forbid, or big storm comes through. So they're getting ahead of it. Okay, they're using okay. AI to capture potential breaks that are going to cost that community or town way more money. The other comp, very similar, uses computer vision and um, to identify potential potholes in a in a neighborhood. Um, another example is is uh, is helping to create a better data set for the 18 million 18 wheelers that move across the country to not, uh, to have a better data set to understand how to underwrite. Um, and ensure uh, a trucking fleet. So the examples are there, um, but they're but they're it's very clear uh, in those cases how the technology makes a better product or either makes money or saves money, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so it's it's definitely in it's definitely in use, and we are incredibly excited about it. But again, it's a layer of feature. It's not a business as a standalone, at least from our standpoint. Yeah. At least from I, our view. Um, I don't disagree, right? Machines learn the way we learn. Yep. They just happen to do it a little bit faster. Yep. I'm, I'm also then curious, so I will go back to your process. Is there an application for, even if it's just ChatGPT or other, um, that you're thinking about internally, how can I use this to help me find, based on the criteria that I have, I'll feed the data into this thing, it can help me find uh, – where there's opportunity. Deal flow? Yeah. Yeah. So we um that that is that is a um that'd be like, you know, a it's not a dream come true, but that is something that we would love to implement on our end. Um and something that could potentially be built, maybe not right now, maybe our next fund uh next year, where we could, you know, pour significant well, some money and resources into it. But there's no question that we can use the services for ourselves. We're not currently. Um, but, um, you know, how do you, how to right now we play more defense. So all the inbound comes to us and we vet it as we talked about in our kind of deal flow selection process, but we've never played offense. Um, so I think that would be, you know, uh, maybe one or two of our LPs who are actually, you know, gifted, smart enough and experienced enough to actually know how to build it. Uh, we don't have it today. I'm sure, you know, other venture platforms are thinking about it, but absolutely would be an incredible tool, um, to, help source deals and identify what's out there versus just waiting for the, Hey, you should talk to Chris or C2V because you know, X, Y, Z. Yeah. This is like a meta lowercase M yeah. moment though. Yeah. Right. Cause yeah. I, it's very I, I would bet though, if, 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 if you got that email today inbound that says, I've got this AI that's going to help you find more of me. Oh you'd be like, yeah, of course. That's a, that's a no brainer. Yeah. Robotic, you know, we, we don't invest outside of the U S uh, we could plug in, you know, our check size is called a half a million to a million. That's an easy input. Geographic, you know, we like, you know, we like underserved. We didn't really touch on that loop, but we like underserved, overlooked markets. So Chicago, where, where you live, isn't an underserved. It's a big city, but um, but it's not San Francisco and it's not necessarily New York. So uh, we're, we are in Alabama. We're in Charlotte. We're in Ohio. We're in Michigan. We're in Vancouver. We're in Toronto, um, you know, these aren't places that tr traditionally people think about like the awesome potential next, you know, billion dollar tech company. But we really like that in addition to our dirty, dull, and dangerous because the big VCs in the Bay Area are thinking to themselves, there can't be great founders. They all have to be in the Bay Area or potentially New York or whatnot. Um, so, um, yeah, so, so to be able to input the geographic, the check size, and say enterprise B2B solving in dental or 
you know, again, to pick anything super boring, yeah. x-rays or whatever. Um, yeah. It, and it, it'd be interesting. I've, I don't know the answer. How many, how many company profiles are out there? Probably not a ton, but it'd be nice to be able to identify them. So I think hopefully we do this again in the future and hopefully we have actually like a solution using it um, for, uh, for C2V, not just our portfolio companies. I mean, I know what I'm going to be doing in my garage for the next six months, trying to figure that out. <laughs> for you, we'll product. buy it. We'll buy it. Yeah. We'll buy yeah. it. Um, Chris, we, did, we, we didn't get one of those answers out. And I really want to understand it before we let you go. And then I, I promise I will. Um, tell me what's, what's dirty, what's dull, what's dangerous. Well, I mean, there are a lot of, you know, the, 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 the acronym or the, Buzz is just, I mean, you're in the, you know, you, you, you guys sit in the, in, in kind of the marketing, uh, branding world, but it's, it's basically any sector ranging from bathroom cleaning, uh, construction, uh, you know, dental, uh, pet tech, um, um, education tech, any, any sector, uh, that has, uh, sort of understood value has been around for, you know, again, 10 years or 150 years. It's clear it's not going to go anywhere, um, but it's generally driven by like Excel spreadsheets and notepads because it's just not a, it's not a vertical that's gotten the attention of technology until hopefully we fi find that company and that founding team that understands how to um, uh, revolutionize and make things more efficient. So, um, you know, and we'd like to think they're kind of recession proof vertical. So no, regardless of when we were talking about, you know, kind of the, the, the macro state of the state, while things are still difficult for funding, all those examples, and there's, you could probably help me rattle off another tenor. You'll probably like later today, you'll probably think of one or two, yeah. like this would be a dirty, dull and dangerous kind of vertical. They're just not going to go anywhere, but it's just very obvious that they're, uh, they're, they're antiquated and there's been no investment in innovation or technology. Uh, so those are kind of, um, you know, those are a handful, but like, again, you know, uh, insurance is broken, you know, going to the doctor is broken, you know, um, dental offices don't know what inventory they have behind them. They it's like a notepad on their desk. All those things are things that get us excited uh, as far as opportunity, because there's a lot of money behind it. So again, back to the de-risking conversation, if our job is to de-risk, you do that by knowing the money's there. Hopefully the team is good. They're using the right technology, but it's not going to go anywhere. So regardless of like pandemic or interest rates, some of this, some of our business are impacted, um, but not all of them. So Got it. you could probably come up with, uh, you know, and sometimes I don't even, we don't even know until we, until one hits our inbox and, you know, uh, man, sorry, uh, uh, man, man, manufacturing or um, a really quick one. We have one, um, out of Alabama that in the, in the rise of the EV category, they basically, there's a lot of EV stations going on both commercially and beyond what Tesla's building. They're the first business that's creating kind of a, a design tool to understand how to build um, the EV infrastructure. So that's kind of on, you know, that's not super old school, but it's certainly something that is not um, kind of consumer or too flashy or whatnot. Right. So today I'm walking away going, okay, in general, I certainly better understand the relationship between myself uh, and a, a 
you know, a VC and a VC and your relationship with other VCs and investors, I certainly now can really see a path to growth and why you have that path, right? Your, your, your deal management. And I'm, I'm also curious again, right? I've, I've got other questions and ideas and things I want to kick around with teams internally to say, how do we take this sort of thought process into what we do? Because a lot of it is there, right? Whether yep. it's legitimate deal maintenance and management with our, with our partners, publishers and platforms, or it's, you know, an internal process of how we evaluate the success of something. Right. right. And I, and I, and I love that. <laughs> I love that part of your tagline is dangerous when you're all about de-risking. So, yeah. uh, I also, I also <laughs> learned that, that, uh, there's always room for, for marketing and, and yeah. certainly some, some media in there too. And there were a couple, uh, there, the other sector I, I, I just forgot to mention, but I think is relevant for the OMD and Omnicom family is retail tech, obviously a sector that I'm sure has a lot of crossover, yeah. both, um, you know, big box and, and, and with brands, um, and yeah, so, uh, you know, ho hopefully there's some nuggets um, based on the type of portfolio companies that we back, but also kind of bringing it full circle um, to how these sectors and verticals are relevant to to OMD, to the Omnicom family, and also the brands that you guys work with. Because we didn't, you know, get into that deeply, but there is a lot of, um, I think, shared understanding beyond just media spend of how these categories may impact some of the, some of the brands that OMD works with. But yeah, no, it's, um, it's, it's fun to answer these questions for sure. Well, there it is. Uh, if any of our clients are listening to this one, it sounds like there's, there's some real thought here around how this impacts uh, all that we do. So if our listeners want to hear more from you, I have a feeling that you have a place that they can go and do that. For sure. Yeah. So our website, c2ventures.co, not to be confused with .com. Don't ask. That's a, that's a longer story. It wasn't available, but um, c2ventures.co, we have a lot of cool content. Um, and then um, we have um, our podcast, which is The Honest VC, uh, formerly known as Superpowers, which I think a lot of people, uh, at least what I've heard, have listened to. Um, and um, yeah, so The Honest VC, we will definitely... Um, uh, give some kind of further light and context to our conversation, but also a place to to hear a little bit more about what we're doing. Fantastic. Awesome. Thanks. Uh, again, uh, Chris Cunningham, really appreciate you being here. C2 Ventures sounds like a super fun place to be, even though you try and make it boring. Um, I don't believe you. It, it does sound, it sounds like fun. Um, and I'm sure, like I said, I'm sure our listeners learned as much as I did. Uh, but for now, I'll let you go. Appreciate you taking the time to be here. That is a wrap for this episode. Thank you out there for listening to OMD Red Talks. Stay curious, and we will see you next time.